Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and I'm finally joined once again by the in the midst of moving Joel Rawlings. Joel, how are you? That's sort of distressed and packing nonstop. So yeah, that, that's where I'm at. Yeah, well, I've been teasing on the podcast for weeks. Weeks. That you have an announcement to make. Yeah, because it's been weeks since we recorded and I keep on saying like Joel's going to come back and he's got something exciting to talk about. And obviously we just said you're moving. So why don't yeah. you tell everybody that listens what's going on? Yeah, so I um, accepted a job offer at the Milwaukee School of Engineering in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And uh, they're just starting up a Division three team. So they're going to have swimming and diving, men's and women's. Uh, and it's going to be, so this coming year, it's just going to be a club team still. And you're going to be recruiting and coaching the club. And then uh, the year after that, it's going full varsity. So uh, on, on both sides. So you're going to be looking to add meets and conference and everything. So it's it's ground floor. Should be uh, should be really fun. So you're going to be starting a brand new college program. And when it comes into varsity, um, what NCAA division are you guys going to be competing in? It's going to be Division three. Yeah. Okay. And the conference that's currently in uh, doesn't support swimming. And so we're going to have to look around at like private schools in Wisconsin. There's a, there's a Midwest conference we're going to probably look into trying to ask to, because I think there'd be a, a lot of similar schools going in with that or the liberal arts college uh, ranks. One of those two. It's going to be one of the Midwestern uh, conferences. Yeah. I have plenty of questions. I want to get into, you know, all the considerations about starting a new program. But I think before that, I think we have to address the elephant in the room, which is why would anyone in their right mind move back to the state of Wisconsin? And I just want to apologize to all our Wisconsin listeners, but like, what gets? Yeah, you know, it's it's unfortunate how much of my decision-making process goes into climate change. And having a giant body of fresh water right next to me, it's pretty, pretty intriguing. You know, I like the idea that there's always going to be water in that lake as far as I'm going to be alive, you know? So that, that'd be number yep. one. Uh, number two, Wisconsin, you know, you East coast bias types. Uh, there's a lot, a lot to it. It's uh, it's, you know, moderately inexpensive to live in. Uh, it's a, it's got a lot of things that are kind of developing lately. And, uh, easy to get into an auto through either uh, the Mitchell uh, International or go down to O'Hare. So it's, it's been pretty nice like that because like living on the West Coast, it's nice. Like you can get to Hawaii, get to California and get Mexico really easily if we wanted to travel. But, um, you know, if you want to go like to Europe, it's, it's an extra six or eight hours minimum, you know, just to get over to New York and from New York out and things like that. So, so my wife and I like to travel a lot. And so yeah, being here, it's, it's been really nice for traveling and all the things, all the experiences that Oregon has to offer. But it'll be nice to get back to Midwest. That's where my friends and family are. So it'll be it'll be a nice, uh, nice kind of homecoming, I guess. Yeah. So here's what here's where I want to go with this because we right. have at various times on this podcast, right? You and I, and and I've had some knowledge of what's going on in the background, but you and I have discussed, right? Like job uh, opportunities, the state of jobs in college swimming, the, you know, all the considerations that um, go into it. Obviously, I don't, I don't need you to get into all the specifics, but what made this, um, because I I know that you had other opportunities for stuff that you could do. What made this the one that you were just like, you pulled the trigger and you were like, this is the one, this is what I want to do. 
I, I think it's like speaking from like all different levels from, from the professional end, it's pretty intriguing to just start a program from scratch where there's absolutely nothing there. So everything right. that happens, good or bad, it's going to be my fault. <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> I kind of like that aspect of it. You can't complain about the team culture because you will literally create it from scratch. Exactly. And when I was at the previous school, I was really happy with the culture that we developed. And then I, I was offered a couple of job opportunities that actually would pay more. But I was like, God, I don't know if I can go back to like day one of just like trying to start the culture again because it's just it's such a long process to change. And I think that's the thing is uh, most important for in, for me choosing a job is like as far as like what the culture is because you know you're around swimmers so much you're around uh, administrators and things and you want it to be a culture that fits you so well and so like fast swimming it, for me it like it, it's kind of like uh, it, it's it's like uh, I think milk used to always call it it's like a carton of milk it's got an like, expiration date you know after a while you keep on telling people about how you used to coach the swimmer at this time. Eventually, he's like, yeah, we got some 12 inners that do that now. Great job. Way to go. Right. You know, and, and so the, the thing that's lasting, though, is, is the relationships of the people you're working with and, and, the, and the swimmers and athletes and, uh, that, that you've got around you. And so I thought that was pretty intriguing about it. Uh, and, again, it's got a lot of, you know, pitfalls to it. And so it'll be fun to kind of navigate through that and, and again, just try to, try to think outside the box on how we're going to make it work. And then I was talking to a couple of friends of mine, too, when I was looking for jobs. And some of the best advice I had, one was like, you know, obviously who you're going to work for and who you're going to work with are really important. Because, again, you spend so much time on the pool deck or you got to go to the athletic director for, you know, money or for whatever. You, you want to be able to have a good conversation with them and, and they know where you're coming from and you know where they're coming from. And uh, one thing that was really important to me is, is obviously my family and my life with my son and my wife and uh, uh, one what really good piece of advice I had was like someone told me that uh, basically you only have so many moves in you because I, I had a friend who uh, I went to graduate school with and he's a, he's a professional football coach now. But if you look at his uh, his resume to get to where he's at now, he had like 20 stops and it's been wow. 30 years. You know, he's been to James Madison. He's went to here. He went to here. One stop here. One stop here. One stop. All the time moving up the food chain. And it's one of those, again, where he's got a daughter who's now out of high school. And, you know, that means, you know, relocating. I mean, I mean, I'm thinking like right now how much time out of the summer I'm killing for my son because all we're doing is packing. You know, that he had right. almost no summers with his, his daughter and his family. And so the, the way it was phrased to me is like, you know, you, you only have about two or three moves before the kids start to resent you a little bit. Especially like, you know, elementary school, I like trucks, you like trucks, we're friends. Middle school, all of a sudden it's a little more you know, a little more hormonal. And then by, by high school, now they're going to resent you if all of a sudden you pull them out. Yeah. Like, by high school, it's reached, you've ruined my life stage. That's, exactly. I think, you know, you move again in the middle of high school. Like, yeah. And so there's a, a lot of jobs I saw being great jobs as far as like working with some exceptional athletes, exceptional students. Uh, but I was like, you know, after about two, three years, you know, I don't know if we'd want to be there. And by that time, my son would be a sophomore or junior in high school and, and not the right time to look for a move. And then the last thing yeah. is working at, um, working at, uh, at Division Three. I like, again, it's, it's a little more of a doable lifestyle for me with my family at this point, uh, just with everything my wife's trying to do and everything my son's trying to do. Um, I like that aspect of it. I, I think the reason I always worked hard at like trying to get to be a better coach wasn't because I'm like, I want to be the Olympic coach or I want to be the Stanford coach. Like, I just wanted to be like whenever a kid that I was coaching came up to me with a question, 
I'd have a reasonable answer or I felt like I was competent enough to get to an answer for, to get them faster. Because I remember like my first year coaching, all of a sudden like someone got slower and I'm like, how come I'm getting slower? I, I don't know. You know, and so that right. was, <laughs> that, that's one of those that still hurts. And that was, I don't know how many years ago. And so that's one where you like, you just want, you want some answers on, on how those things can, can work. And so that, that's the thing is, again, I'm really excited about, uh, you know, just again, the recruiting process is going to start out with whatever we can get onto the team would be great. And then, you know, just getting them faster, getting them to have fun and telling friends and just kind of building like that. Yeah. And so what are you thinking about? I mean, like, so you've had time, um, you referenced earlier, you were, you coached for a while at university of Wisconsin, whitewater, you were head coach. You had a lot of success there. Um, that was a division three team in Wisconsin as well. Um, obviously a public school environment versus a private school environment. But I think one of the things you've had is the benefit of some time just to like think and reflect and um, people, people underrate that. I think they consistently yeah. underrate it. Like if you're just going from season to season, it is so hard to process like what happened. So I think you've, you've had like a lot of time. So when you think about starting for something from, from scratch again, like what are the big things, um, I guess, themes that you think like, here's, here's what I need to set up first. Like what, what are those first steps? Yeah, I've actually I've been thinking a lot about that, especially after talking with you a lot on the podcast. And, and like I used to always think, like when if someone asked me that question, like when I first started, like at Whitewater, like 12, 15 years ago, whatever it was, it would have been like I'm going to put in what I value the most. I value turns, starts, breakouts, and so day one, that's what we do on practice. But now it's actually it's it's a lot more of the psychological aspect, of it, especially after everything that's happened over the past few years. So right away, I'm thinking about like. First and foremost, it's kind of like the, the, the being like selfish and switching to myself of like, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm, you know, rested, ready for whatever kind of conflict or crisis or whatever, because that's all it seems to be is like, there's always a brush fire to push out. But if I'm already stressed out, or if I'm already tired, then my reaction is not going to be the reaction I want. And so I want to make sure that I kind of compartmentalize you know, the time for myself as far as eating right, getting sleep, you know, being, being basically an athlete as a coach in a sense of, you know, taking care of nutrition, sleep, rest, recovery, so you can go back to practice the next day. So the same thing the athlete needs, I think coaches really need too, so that you can address things that in, in a way, because anytime I feel ashamed of something I might've done or said as a coach, you know, it's like saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. It was because like, I didn't really have a moment just to take that pause and think, okay, what's, what's really being asked here? Where are the ramifications going on? What, 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 are, the, what are the real needs behind this? Because a lot of times they might say, you know, it, it's something to do with X when it's actually you know, their roommate, you know, or, or it's this. And, then it's, and so trying to, trying to fix all the little problems rather than, again, taking that beat and going, okay, well, what's, what's the real problem here? Is this, a, is this the real issue? Uh, second thing is I th I'm thinking like day one of swim practice, just kind of sitting down and just explaining that, you know, I'm a bit of a dinosaur now. I mean, that it's, there, there's, there's all these things that go on through social media that I'm completely unaware of. I mean, because in two, three years, everything changes. I was talking to a friend of mine where, uh, his daughter was angry at him because she sent a picture to him and he pressed like button. And so he's, and she was very mad. He's like, why are you mad at me for hitting like, she's like, 
like is, is sarcastic, Dad. That means, yeah, great job, way to go. You're supposed to hit the heart button. And so apparently the, that button is shifted over now. And I'm like, I had no idea. He was, had no idea. But it, it's right. kind of a small example of, of the bigger picture of things where we don't always realize that something has passed us by in whatever phrase or word, just this isn't acceptable. Or again, you look back at like, uh, like I was watching, a, I was going to watch Trading Places the other day because you just have a movie on in the background while you're packing mm-hmm. kind of thing. And there's the scene where uh, Dan Aykroyd comes out in blackface. You're like, Again, I, I remember it, you know, 80, whatever. It was like, oh, this is the funniest thing ever. And now it's like, ooh, can you get away with that? Which, yeah. you, know, you kind of almost look around the room. I'm the only one, but I'm like, maybe I should right. be watching this. Right. So, yeah, those, those yeah I mean, I think – yeah, go ahead. You had, did you have a third one? The third thing was, again, just taking care of myself, uh, making sure that the uh, the team understands where I'm coming from, where it's like it's it's from honesty, it's openness, and anything that I say – um, that I hope there's a dialogue with it. And that's kind of the part I would, you know, want to get through with you more is like how to make sure that dialogue is open and honest. Cause I think a lot of times kids are, are about, you know, Oh sure. We'll say something, but then when they're in one-on-one, they don't just because they, they, they fear the dynamic of, you know, coach versus swimmer, you know, in a group setting, a lot of times they'll be like more forthcoming versus a one-on-one situation. They might feel a little more like, well, I don't want to insult him or I don't want to lose my spot on the team or whatever it might be. So those are, those are the two biggest things as far as that. And, and it's, it's kind of funny that over the years now, training has kind of shifted back because that, that seems to be the easiest part to deal with. The, the first two are the hardest that I found after, like you said, taking that break. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to touch quickly on the first one because in, um, in the past couple of weeks, I've been doing a podcast. I've had Trevor Gray on and Trevor has been coming on to – discuss we're both just like talking about how we're training um we did a a first podcast just outlining um what we do training wise swimming outside of the pool that kind of stuff it's sort of built around master swimming and then the second one we were talking about nutrition and i think one of the insights that i've had in the last few years i think this goes in line with what you're talking about is it's not that i don't know what i should be doing like what i should be eating what's good for me like what is probably the right decision to make in most situations. It's that um, I had a lot more situations, I think in the past, I'm getting better at it where I didn't set myself up to make the right decision. You know, like I put myself in places where I would just be at the end of my rope and then, yeah, like I'd just be, you know, binging on junk food or, you know, some like ice cream or whatever, you know what I mean? Because it just be like, I just can't, you know, I just can't hold it together anymore. And I think people really underrate this in terms of, decision-making when you're in uh, a coaching setting. So many people are redlining all the time. And then, yeah, you end up with a bunch of actions where you go like, gosh, I shouldn't have said that. Like I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have gone there. But you know, if you are redlining all the time, then you're going to be in a lot of situations where it's going to be very hard to be your best self and act in the way that you want to act and respond in the way that you want to respond. And so, you know, it does take some, it does take a lot of, organization and planning, but having a proactive plan to just be in that state less so that you make less mistakes in the moment. Um, I think that sounds really good. Yeah. It's, it's crazy how much it is like being an athlete again, in a sense, at least I'm right. thinking about it because I, I would think about how, um, but like not, not to get too nerdy on it, but, but starting to think like why I want a certain food now, you know, like again, if all of a sudden I'm really craving something sugary, then it's, it's like 
if I think about the why, it's like, well, how much rest did I actually get? Did I get enough sleep? And so when I'm, when I'm exhausted, I'm like, I want caffeine, and I want simple carbohydrates, I want sugars right away. And then you get that, that rush for a little bit, and then the crashes come right. in. And, and, and that's the thing is, again, you don't want to hit that crash when all of a sudden you're having a meeting with an athletic director, or you're having a meeting with a student athlete, or a meeting with the parents and things like that, where all of a sudden a little bit sleepy, tired, and then coming up and kind of managing it through like basically like sugar and caffeine modulation and stuff. Or also you go to these meets that are all day and you think about the stuff that you eat quickly on the, on the pool deck. It's, you know, stuff that are usually kind of, you know, nothing against people that run concessions, but it's usually you know, simple carbohydrates, stuff that's not there yeah. for the conscious. It's just because it's simple and it'll have a lot of shelf life. And you're like, you're just feeling kind of bogged down, you know, three days at the meet of eating like, you know, sloppy joes or whatever like that it's just like oh my gosh you know it's just you, you just you start to take a toll and it's not again not when you're 20 something it's you know when you're 50 no. you know and again it, that's why it's like being an athlete you know when you're you, you see like the nba players when they're 20 they're, they're you know they have like you know burgers fries you know fried foods whatever they're doing fine lebron james is like you know i want broccoli i want a lean cut of meat and that's it and i need my you know, like 12 hours sleep now Right. But again, it's like you, you just have to kind of be aware, just like you were as an athlete, that as you age as a coach, you're going to have different requirements, too, that you can't do the six hours on deck all at once, that maybe you need a little bit of a break, maybe you need to delegate a little bit more and start to be more of the CEO rather than the everything kind of person, if you can. Yeah, so let's talk about the second part there, because, you know, you're, you're trying to set up, you're, as I said, um, you're, you're mentioning, you know, you want to set up and establish like just a good tone for communication within the team from the very beginning. Um, and I think just having that as an idea for something you're going to do, I think that is that really is most of the battle, because like, you know, you, you, like you said, you have a clean slate. And so, you know, I think one of the reasons why people have a really hard time with that is because in any other, you know, any team culture you step into, like you do have to deal with um, the fact that 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 has not been standard operating procedure within athletic teams for a lot of years. And I was even thinking about what you're saying um in the context of, I don't, I, you know, you may have just, I, I know you've been so busy with moving. You said you're barely following headlines, but like I saw that uh, Lars Jorgensen at um, Kentucky has just stepped down. Um, originally it was reported that he had been removed from the pool deck while the school was investigating something. And then there was a little bit more details coming out. And now he's just like, he's not coaching at Kentucky anymore. And um, I don't know any of the details about that. I only know what everybody else knows um, from having read it. I am somebody that's that's talked to Lars a few times, but I got some insight into it. In, in one of the posts, there was um, somebody who came out publicly and said like, hey, here's the problems I had while I was swimming at Kentucky. This athlete had transferred. And I would say a good three quarters, uh, three out of the four things that she brought up um, could have been resolved if like if she'd just been able to have like open and honest communication with Lars, but for whatever reason, that's not what seemed to happen. And um, so it is a big deal. Um, And again, I think people underrate it, but like, this is like deciding whether people have um, careers in places and not. So it's, it's, it's a lot more important than people are giving it um, 
credit for. And I guess uh, I want to pitch to people as you're, you're giving an invitation to talk about this, that it, in the same way that we talked about with um, your sort of your, your person and your, your health and managing yourself, I mean, a, a bit of uh, proactive planning and organization goes a lot farther than just mm-hmm. waiting and just hoping like you won't have to deal with it and then being reactive in the situation. So I think, um, you know, the fact that you're already uh, thinking about that before there's any athletes on your team, I, I think uh, that's put you way ahead of the game. I think um, just thinking this now, and I, I'm, you've always hated my out of sport analogies here. I was thinking like back in the day, like, um, you know, I used to like watch Milwaukee Brewers and I was Rob, we had Robin Young as a shortstop and like Ozzy Smith is always, I remember Robin Young. He was great, man. Yeah. And, and it was one of those things where people are like, well, you know, Ozzy Smith does all these amazing, you know, catches and things like that. I was like, well, it's because Robin Young's always in the right position. You know, and that's the thing is like him moving right. his feet at the right time, three steps earlier. Now he doesn't have to do a diving catch. It's just going to be right to him. And it's kind of the same thing here where no one will give credit to the person who's just in the right spot at the right time. You don't really get the, the you know, it, it, they don't make movies like uh, about the guy that has those little, hey, how's everyone doing today kind of kind of meetings. You know, it's always the Lombardi. Right. Kind of it's always the big, you know, turning stomachs, making everyone adrenaline freaks versus the everyday yeah. of like, hey, are we doing all right today? What, uh, what do we need to talk about? Is everything going well? You know, it just just little things like that. Again, it's just, it's just not like a Hollywood movie of, of constant, like, you know, just self-check kind of correction, things like that. And it's kind of funny as you're mentioning it. Well, actually, kind of tragic you're mentioning this because this, this week I took my son to the pool and one of the guards was there um, and she was off duty. So I was talking to her a little bit and she swam at a Pac-12 team. And, uh, and she was talking about, you know, how, it, you know, she was at this school and, you know, I was like, geez, you know, it was a pretty rough time because they, they actually went through a couple of coach transitions. I, I'm like, I'm really sorry you had to go through all that. And that's the first thing I said to her rather than, hey, how was it and stuff? And she almost started crying, like literally. It was right. like one of those emotional things where like, she's like, I really appreciate you saying that because no one else in the world, in my world understands everything I had to go through on the, uh, to swim. In the fact. Everyone's like, oh, you got those shoes for free. You're so lucky. You got this, you got a tuition waiver. You're, you're so lucky. And she's like, had nothing to do with luck. I, I worked really hard. And she came from one of those programs where they didn't do long course meters. They didn't do doubles. She was just super talented sprinter, Olympic trials, uh, you know, qualifier. And, the, you know, basically the coaching staff that recruited her was like, hey, we'll take care of you. We know you have a, you know, don't have a huge background. We'll bring you along slowly. As soon as she came in, that coaching staff changed. So it was the new coaching staff. And it was like, we all do this. We all do this. Let's go. And so every day doubles, every day weights, all the time, all the time. And it was really hard. And she was always sick and broken down. And then also the same thing was like, I don't want to hear it. Just get in and work harder. So anytime she had a concern, she was shut off. And so for four years, she just kind of like swallowed and like, I'm just going to get through this. And then every time she'd go home, all her friends, you're so lucky. You get everything. You get to travel. You get all this stuff. And again, the other sport analogy is like, boy, I would do anything. You'd sit on a bench for 20 million a year. It's like, that's why you're not one of those athletes, probably. You know, it's probably why you're not an athlete at that level, because sitting on the bench really affects them deeply to the part where it hurts their identity. And for this this athlete, too, their whole life, she's a swimmer. And now she's like, I don't think I want to be a swimmer, but I'm not prepared to do anything else at this moment. And so, like you said, with a coach, 
you're always kind of swimming upstream. You're like, you can't stop and analyze like I was able to do. When you're in that four years, you're like, I only have four years. And so you just keep on going right. and keep on going and then it's done. And then everyone's like, wow, you're so fortunate versus people going, you know what, let's you know, take a minute. But it was an okay experience. And for her, she was like, I should have gone division three. I should have gone maybe a smaller school. It's, she's like, it was just, it was too much, but it was my dream to swim Pac-12. It was my dream to swim for this coach. I thought this would be everything for me. And it, it turned out to be pretty hollow. Yeah, I mean, I think in your story, what I hear is just some basic human empathy. And I think empathy is one of the most misunderstood topics, especially in sports. I think that, you know, like um, a lot of people uh, shy away from empathy um, because they misunderstand it or they expect it to come in a certain form. And, um, and I, I don't, I don't think, I think they're sort of missing the point of empathy, you know, empathy on a basic level is just acknowledging, uh, the emotions of another person, right? So like, you don't have to, you didn't have to co-sign, like you didn't sign a legal document that goes, Hey, everything you said about, you know, what happened when you were swimming at PAC 12, I, Joel Rawlings, um, will be a plaintiff in a legal case asserting that these facts are true and like they are incontrovertible, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All you did was like, Hey, that sounds like you really had a really hard time. And like, that must've been really hard, you know? So I think people think that empathy means you have to like co-sign somebody else's reality, right? You have to like say like, yeah, that's exactly what I think happened too. And then it can get really complicated because everybody's experiencing a different reality. So, you know, if you try to have that level of empathy for everybody, you're just going to go like, you're going to end up agreeing with a bunch of contradictory, you know, accounts of what's happening. But what you can acknowledge is people's emotional states. Cause like you can't, I mean, how can you decide otherwise? How can you decide what emotion a person is feeling and what they're not, right? Um, might as well just take them at their word at what they're doing. And, you know, I think that the same thing goes the other way. When I was reading this athlete's account and she was talking about Lars, I thought, you know, yeah, like um, she's definitely missing some empathy in her experience. You know what? These coaches are missing some empathy too. Like, you know, one of the things that um, with the athlete uh, that uh, was talking about uh, uh, Lars at Kentucky you know, said was, Hey, I, I hurt myself in the weight room. And, uh, the training staff said, you know, it was something pretty minor. Turns out down the line that I found out, um, I had a bulging disc, you know, and I'm thinking like, okay, so training staff did misdiagnosed you. Like, where's the empathy for the coach? Who's whose job it probably is to not diagnose injuries to be like, hey, the, whatever the training staff says goes, that's what I have to go on because they're the professionals who are actually qualified to diagnose this. I'm just a swim coach. So like I go I go based off what they tell me. But I don't see that, you know, empathy in it. Um, and so, you know, it, it, I think that if, if you can lead um, as a coach with with empathy, then I think it's a fair for you to expect empathy in return too. And I, I hear that in what you're saying. Right. You're going to go, hey, listen, when you're in a tough spot, I will acknowledge that. Also, you guys, you know, I've been out of the game for a long time. Um, I'm recognizing that some stuff culturally may have 
uh, may just be moving yeah. past me. So, you know, uh, uh, understand, be understanding of me too, you know, and have empathy for me as a human being. Yeah. And I think so like just thinking like anytime I've talked to, uh, other coaches, if you use the word empathy, it, it just like you said, it has a lot of different meanings to a lot of people too. And like a lot of times coaches are like, Oh, you just want me to pity them. It's like, no, th th that's no. completely not at all. We want to acknowledge that they're going through a hard time and it doesn't matter if it's, you know, harder than everyone else. It's hard for them. Acknowledge that. And then how are we going to get through this? What, what are we going to do to get to the other side? And if they want to get to the other side, do you, do we want to get to these certain, you know, aspirations or goals like that? Then, then can we do it what you're doing or can we do a little more? But then I think the other side of it too is coaches like I've got 50 athletes. How am I supposed to have that much time? For everyone, and I think it kind of goes back to the analogy of being in the right space at the right time, so the ball is kind of coming to you. Is again just setting up all these little meetings beforehand, not even meetings, just like again letting them know that it's open, so it's little self-check things, so that you're not all the way off course. You're just always kind of writing writing the boat a little bit, which is just a couple of little tweaks here and there, versus like, oh gosh, we gotta get the Newt Rockney speech going right now. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think look, I think to empathy goes a long way. I mean, like I'm, I'm recording this as, you know, we've transitioned to summer. So actually both my children are downstairs and um, they get along pretty well with each other, but they're siblings. You know what I mean? They're going to get into a, a fight pretty much every day that they spend with each other for the rest of their lives. Right. And, um, you know, uh, often it'll be, they'll be conflicting and they'll be like, you know, throwing accusations. He did this, they did that, da, 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 you know, et cetera. I, I have found great results personally um, from just acknowledging how everybody's feeling. And then I don't have to necessarily like adjudicate who was right, who was wrong, right. you know, what happened, et cetera, et cetera. Like just, just, just managing to get into the space and be like, Hey, your brother has a right to be upset right now. And you got a right to be upset right now. And, and I think I'm not that's like co-signing anybody. Yeah. The, the, the hard part for a coach, again, stepping back is like, is we want to be right. We want to have an answer. You know, it feels good to have yeah. that, that momentary, like I just solved that problem next, you know, kind of move on. Right. Let's, let's bring it on like in this assembly line of problems. And I'm just going to fix them one by one uh, versus again, like getting them the skills where like they need to iron this out themselves, whether it's your own kids or, or, you know, the, the athletes you're coaching. Again, if, if you're responding to every text, and every complaint, everything, then you're trying to fix everything versus again just listing and be like, "Wow, I understand." Um, it, it it will add up, and then it's like it's nonstop. And I remember all too well, it's like it just seemed like there's always a brush fire. When it's like, I, I bet a lot of those would have put themselves out, you know. Obviously, but again, like you said, that empathy level of just talking to everyone to at least be aware that it's going on, acknowledge it's going on, and then if you do need to step up, step in, you're there but you believe in their ability to solve these problems on their own and you're there to support them. And if they need your help, come on back, that kind of thing. So right. kind of like having the initial, the, the initial conversation and then there's a second level and then there's the third. All right, now I've got to step in. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, it, it is definitely, it's easier said than done, but I, I think, um, you know, there's, there is a way to, um, I think with with both things that you are are thinking about, there is a way to um, set yourself up 
to not necessarily groove into the same things that we talk a lot about on this podcast, um, where, you know, people just people who love coaching and, and I love coaching. I get the sense that you love coaching um, from having talked to you all this time, which is one of the reasons why I just want to segue into saying I'm genuinely excited that you're going to be back on a pool deck coaching day to day. And I think um, I speak for a lot of the listeners, too. That's why I have not been I'm not kidding when I say, you know, that we have an exciting announcement. You know, I, I think but but, you know, ju- even if you love coaching, like you can come down a road where it just turns into um uh, it goes from something that you go like, man, I would, you know, if I didn't have to worry about money, I'd do this for free. Right. Into yeah. something where you go like, they can't pay me enough money to show up and, you know, coach this, like I'm miserable. And, you know, so we want to um, prevent some of that stuff. And I think you have a lot of things um, in line here ahead of time. I think what, like you said, there's like the, you, that moment where it's like, you can't pay me enough. I think, you know, from what my experience has been, the kids that are really joyful in swimming, that really are, are loving the process, you never ever feel that. But there's some athletes, again, they could be Olympic medalists if they really, you know, whatever level you, you aspire to coach. If they're really, it's a day, it's a, it can be a grind. You know, it has nothing yeah. to do with how fast they're going. And that's kind of the weird thing about our sport where we evaluate a season based on how they do at the end of the season. We evaluate a coach based on what his resume looks like for how many, you know, national qualifiers, Olympic trial qualifiers, whatever it is. There, there's so many things that are just predicated on the, the final time of a swim. And I, I think part of it too is what happens beyond that because it is, you can, you can coach the fastest kids in the world, but if you're miserable, it's like, you can't do it for long. And, and we see a lot of that burnout in like division one right now, where a lot of these coaches have been leaving programs for a reason. Um, but if you, you enjoy the process and that's why I always liked in division three was like, you know, listening to, to some of the coaches, you know, just talking about, about the joy they had with, you know, seeing their kids graduate from like a Johns Hopkins or from an Emory or things like that, where, you know, these are high achieving students and high achieving athletes. And that's, that's the cool part is to see, is that they're not having to hopefully sacrifice something. And one of the things that I'm, the other part I'm worrying about is again, when I come in there, like I've got high aspirations for the team to get, get going fast again, how they get there. Eventually it's like, it can't be my timeline it has to be kind of like how we recruits timeline versus like, we can't do it in one season, but also that the hard part I saw was the, uh, when I first started coaching at, at previous division three school is that you had to get over the culture of like, Sometimes they would like kind of like almost like buffer their ego by going, well, we really don't care about swimming. So they go to meets and kind of jag around, get in and just show that we just aren't as serious as you guys, you know. And then it was like one of those where like, no, this, you know, if you're not giving 100 percent, you're not going to get anything out of it. If you're just kind of going in kind of like that. And then the second part, too, is when you start asking a little bit more, like we're Division three, we're supposed to be here to study. It's like, you know. Harvard kids, they're out there studying their division one and they're doing well, you know, Emory, Johns Hopkins, um, you know, Williams, all these schools are getting after it athletically and academically. I think it goes hand in hand. And that's the funny thing with talking with athletic directors the past year about like, you know, different positions is their background is usually from basketball or football. And so they're thinking about like how hard it is to recruit athletes into an institution that might like require a 30 something ACT or a 3.8 grade point average. Like, 
Are you kidding? Those, those have always been my best swimmers. My best swimmers have always right. been the highest achieving uh, academically. And, and it's like, yeah. so recruiting here is, is not as big of a problem as you think it is. Tuition, no. well, that would be the problem. <laughs> <laughs> as, I, as I learned at Georgia Tech, actually, I love, I love those engineering students. Yeah. I think uh, engineering and swimming, for whatever reason, it, it actually works really, really well together. The, the type of uh, people that both things attract, um, you know, it just works. There's some you, synergy I, uh, there. Talking to you, I um, with one of the things I was thinking about that with the um, with, with that idea of engineers was what drew me to the school is the idea is I love the process behind things and how things are working, how things fit together. And I, I'm thinking engineers going to be the same way. And so this school has a, a you know obviously predominantly engineering has a, a nursing students and also a lot of business majors. And so I think just that kind of frame of mind will be interesting to work with. Yeah. So so yeah, yeah. definitely looking forward to it. All right. I think I, I want to make sure we let you go a little bit early. We don't go our full time this time. I know you got people all yeah. over the place in your house. You're talking to me from a bare room. You're in the process yeah. of moving. But I appreciate you making time today, Joel. And I'm excited to announce this to people. Um, swim Brief, sorry, uh, magic5.com slash Swim Brief. Get yourself a custom fit pair of goggles. Chris D underscore coach on Instagram. CD Swim Coach on Facebook. Uh, listen to the podcast with Trevor. You know, get a sense. We're going to be doing those for several weeks, talking about all sorts of things um, and and how we set up uh, stuff. And if you're a master swimmer, I think it's going to be a really great um, listen. Um, Joel, I booked my hotel room for Masters Nationals, nice. as I told you yesterday. Yeah. So yeah. we're getting ready. Masters Nationals in Indy 2024. Here we come. All right. Well, thanks a lot. Thank you very much. For thanks, that. Joel. All right.